How are you feeling, North Central? Feeling good? Feeling alive? Feeling awake? Good. I want to honor some people real quick. Can we give it up for Greg Johnson real quick? Just some, all he does at North Central and all he does for the athletic program. And then also I want to shout out one of my best friends, Justin Brown, the head baseball coach. Come on, can we give a shout to Justin? We, pl we played college baseball together and uh, we both somehow ended up in Minnesota, but we're here. But hey, for the next 20 minutes, I just want to encourage you guys. In this world, it's so easy to walk in discouragement or we see the stuff outside and it's so easy to be discouraged by it. But the goal for me as I was praying about this chapel is I want every single person here to feel encouraged as they leave, to feel encouraged in the call that God has placed on their life. And I believe that every single person has a different sphere of influence. Every single person has a different call on their life. So I want you to walk away feeling encouraged. And I believe that stuff like this, everyday chapel can become mundane. I realize that, but I think that as Christians, we should never walk in with that posture. I think we should walk in believing that God can do the supernatural, believing that God can do more than you could ever ask or ever think or ever imagine. So that's what I believe this chapel is going to be about. I love looking at this, the story of Jesus and just who he is. And Jesus has many different titles, but one title he has is friend of sinners. And so in Matthew 9, 13, it simply just says this, for I've come to not call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And so no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said, maybe even what you, the mistakes you made this week, God has a call for you. No matter what your past is, God has a future for you. And I want you to realize that. That's the beauty of the gospel. That's the beauty of what we live. That's what we celebrated this Easter and what we should be celebrating every single day. That in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, it says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. So we could be made right with God through Christ. So at the moment of the cross, it was the great exchange. We gave Jesus our sin, and he gave us righteousness. We gave Jesus our failure, and he gave us freedom. And from that, we can live and walk towards the call that God has placed on our lives, that we accept this grace. And this grace is the thing that has saved us, but it's also the thing that sustains us, the thing that is sufficient for us, and the thing that continues to transform us into all God has called us to be. And so at this moment, I would love to pray, just inviting the Holy Spirit into this conversation, believing that God had me here for a reason. That's not my words. I'm 25 years old. I don't know what I'm doing half the time, but I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak through me to impact somebody's life. So let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. And I pray right now you speak through me that I get out of the way, that you put a message on my heart. And I believe that there's somebody in this chapel that needs to hear it. So God, use me right now in this moment. Use these students. Thanks so much for all they do. Believing that they make an amazing impact, not only in this school, but in the city of Minneapolis. And we give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. Amen. See, a little bit of my story. Uh, like Greg said, I grew up in Ohio. I have four brothers, uh, an amazing family. And for me, the thing that... Um, was easy for me to idolize was baseball. I, I love playing baseball, and I did everything. That's all I knew. And for me, the way I related, that, that's, that's when things make sense for me. Things make, make sense when I step onto a baseball field, right? Like, a lot of things in this world don't make sense to me, but when I step onto a baseball field, it made a lot of sense. And for me, long story short, I made that an idol in my life. And then my senior year, I signed to play college baseball. Everything was great, living my best life, feeling good about everything. But then my last high school game, I threw a curveball in the fourth inning, and I heard my arm pop, and I felt it pop, and I was like, okay, that's, that's not good. And so I went to the doctor a couple days later and found out that I completely tore my ulnar collateral ligament. And so the only way that I could play baseball again, the game that I loved, was to get surgery. 
And that was a summer for me that was very difficult. It was a summer after my senior year, and everyone else was having a good time celebrating. They just graduated high school, and I was sitting at my house all summer with a giant brace on my arm, filled with bitterness, filled with anxiety, filled with fear, filled with a lot of different things. But that was when God moved in my life. See, a couple weeks later, I went to a church camp, the same church camp that I gave my life to four years later, and I walked in feeling like God had something new for me. God had something fresh, and I Many times don't feel that way, but I just felt like I knew for a fact. And now that I look back, I feel like it was just the, the gift of faith that he had something great for me. And I walked in first night, and I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. God is going to bring the noise. Like someone's going to prophesy over me. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be great. First night, nothing happened. Second night, nothing happened. Third night, nope. Fourth night, last night, still nothing. And then the preacher preached his last message and walked off the stage. And I thought, okay, maybe God didn't have anything for me. Then right when, he, right when I thought that he got back up on the stage, he said, normally I don't do this, but I feel like the Holy Spirit is leading. He says, if anyone feels called into ministry, I want you to come up and give your life to ministry. And he pointed to this section, then he pointed to that section, and I was in the last section. He pointed it to me, and I remember I was sweating more than I ever sweated in my life. My heart was beating, and I stood up, and I don't remember thinking I'm going to stand up right now. It's as if God was like, hey, this is for you. And you don't think this is for you, but I'm getting your attention right now. This is for you. I'm calling you in ministry. Because for me, no one in my family was in ministry. I never thought in a million years I would ever be on stage. The last thing I wanted to do. But God was like, this is what I have for you. This is the call that I've placed on your life. And that's what God is speaking to you. That There's different calls that you have. But this was for me in my moment seven years ago. God said, here you go. This is your call. And he got my attention. And so I walked in that, and for the last seven years, it's been this fight, this fight for this call, because the enemy, see, the enemy wants to destroy the call that that God has placed on your life, because he knows that call is going to impact people, that that call is going to populate heaven and vacate hell, that that call is going to impact this world, and so the enemy is going to try to do everything that he possibly can to destroy that call. And I realized in the midst of that, maybe some of you here, you don't know what your call is, you're discovering what your call is on life, and maybe you're in in a you know, you're majoring in something and you don't think maybe that's, that's what you, you're going to be doing or you're just kind of confused or discovering what God has for you. And for me, when I look back, I believe that there's two things, two reasons why God gave me that call that summer, the summer of brokenness, the summer of anxiety, the summer of fear. Is number one is I was broken. That was a summer where I was broken. God took the thing away that I love to do, baseball, and I was broken. And in Psalms 51, 17, it simply just says this, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. I love the message translation. It says, I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. I learned how to worship when I was broken. I love thinking about Jesus. Also, one of his titles was, I'm the bread of life. And every single time he talks about being the bread, there's four things that he does. He takes the bread, he breaks the bread, he blesses the bread, and then he gives the bread. And I think a lot of times he does that with our lives. He takes our lives that when we're in Christ, we're going to follow him. And many times we are walking in seasons of brokenness. And if you're walking in brokenness, that's exactly where God wants you to be because the next season is going to be a season of, season of blessing, believing that blessing follows obedience. And so God allowed me to walk through a season of breaking. Also, I was buried. Another way is I felt anonymous. I was sitting in my house all summer with this giant brace on my, my arm, and I feel like no one knew my name. I feel like no one noticed me or the things that I was walking through. And many times we can feel buried in life. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, it says, I planted the seed. This is Paul talking. I planted the seed. 
Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. What precedes growth? Every time when you're talking about a tree or a plant, what precedes growth? It's a burial. Many times in life, we may feel buried under circumstances or in different situations, or you feel like nobody notices you, but that's where God wants you to be because we believe in the dark room or in those seasons, that's when God develops us. Many times in life, in college, I remember thinking about this all the time. I thought, man, I can't wait till I get there. I can't wait till I get in that room or in that situation. I can't wait, and I'm dreaming about that. And it's so easy to compare ourselves or compare other people's highlights to our shadows, and we're walking in our shadows, and we're like, man, I can't wait to get to that position or that title or that status or in that room. And many times we finally get in that room, and we forget to bring something with us because God said, hey, the season I had you in when you were buried, when you felt anonymous, I wanted you to develop your character. I wanted you to develop the thing, the gift that God's given you, and yet you didn't. You squandered it, and then you're because you're too focused on what God had for you, what you thought was the next step. God has put you in places and situations where maybe you're here and you feel like you're buried. That's where God wants you to be because he's going to develop your character. He's going to equip you. He's going to give you exactly what you need to continue forward to the call that God has placed on your life. I felt buried. And you look at Jesus' life. 90% of his life was buried. 90% of his life was anonymous. We know he was born. We know the story when he was 12. Then we know 30 to 33. We don't know anything else. So for 90% of his life, he was anonymous. So for me, many times I'm in the shadows out of default. Like, oh, this opportunity didn't didn't work out. That's a bummer. I feel like no one knows who I am. But for me, what God has been speaking to me lately is shouldn't I be chasing the shadows? Even if God elevates me in different positions, shouldn't I run after the shadows? Even if God promotes me, shouldn't I just say, hey, everyone else in the world is trying to highlight themselves on Instagram and different things, but I'm going to run to the shadows because that's how Jesus lived, and that's how I want to live because those are in the moments that God truly develops who you are. So for the last seven years, it's been this fight. It's been this fight of calling a ministry. So many thoughts even this morning. This, what, do you th- what are you thinking, man? What are you thinking you can do? go up and speak? What, what do you have to offer? You got nothing. Like, it's a constant fight, and I don't know if anyone else feels that. Maybe I'm the only person, but this has been this fight for me, the fight for the call of God that he's placed on my life and on your life. And if I would title this message, it would be this, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. In First Timothy 6.12, it says this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. And when you think about the word fight, I don't know what you think about. Um, Maybe think about a story for me. I think about a couple stories. I think about one time in 2007. It was the first time I ever stayed up all night. It was my first youth group lock-in. Come on, anyone go to a youth group lock-in? Classic. I went there. First time ever in my life, I stayed up up all night. I was so proud of myself. And then I went to bed at 8 a.m., and I remember a couple hours later, my brother Brian, two years older, yanked the covers off of me and said, we've got some bowl games happening, man. We can't waste our last day on winter break. We need to go. We need to watch all these bowl games all day. And I'm like, dude, I, I just went to bed like three hours ago. And, he, and then, I, then I lunge after him, and he socks me in the face. And so I get this bloody nose, and then I go to bed again, and then we get in two fist fights. So January 1st, 2007, I got two fist fights with my brother Brian. Crazy. Then the other fight... I thought about is not a physical fight, but more a verbal fight, and it was with my principal. And for me, I was a rule follower growing up. I did not want to make any mistakes. Um, I never got a detention. Like, I wanted to make sure that I stayed the path. And one time when I was, I think, about eighth grade, uh, I heard over the loudspeaker the thing that nobody wants to hear. 
Ben Hoare, please come to the principal's office. Ben Hoare, please come to the principal's office. And I was, I, like, I was sweating, knees shaking. And I'm like, okay, I'm thinking through my head, like, what did I do? What did I do? And I walk in, and the vice principal just started yelling at me. He starts yelling, why did you pick that fight on the bus? What, are you, what were you thinking? Like, all you had to do was wait, and you had to cut the line. And I'm thinking, that, I'm thinking that wasn't me. So I'm trying to fight this. I'm like, that, that wasn't me. That, and finally, the secretary comes in and tells the principal, you got the wrong Ben Hoare. We, there was no joke. There was two Ben Hoares in my school, both in eighth grade, right? Not related at all. I don't know how that happened. It's not a normal name, just to let you know. Two Ben Hoares, and I'm like, I was scared out of my mind. But he thought he had the right person, but he didn't. So that's when I think about fight. Those are the couple stories that I think about. But for me, um, there's this fight for the call that God has put on your life. And the enemy is trying to destroy your calling. The enemy is trying to destroy your calling. It says in Ephesians 6, 12, for, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of an unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. And the encouraging thing in this fight is the enemy can't destroy your calling. The enemy can't destroy your calling. But the discouraging thing is, is the enemy can distract your calling. And for seven years, the enemy has tried to distract my calling with many different things. And the first thing that he's distracted with was the enemy can't, hasn't taken my calling from me, but he has taken my confidence. It's this battle against insecurity. And I remember in seventh grade social studies, I had to give a presentation. And I don't know why I think about this, but it was, it was in front of 20 people. And I was shaking the entire morning because I didn't want to give this presentation. I remember when I moved up here, I worked at Ruth Chris, like Greg said. And for two years, I thought, man, God's calling me to ministry. And it didn't work out. And in Ohio, and I moved out here, and I felt like God called me here for a purpose and a reason, and I interned under Pastor Kirk, and, and I was walking through here, but put, like, opportunity didn't work out. Opportunity didn't work out, and throughout the whole time, I was just battling this insecurity, like, you're not, you're not called to this. Like, it hasn't worked out yet, so why do you think it's going to work out now? Like, you're not called to this, and so it's been seven years of this battle of the enemy trying to distract me in my calling by throwing insecurity at my way. And I think within every fight, we have a role. We can do stuff. And for me, I think the role that we have over insecurity, right, when we think about our battles, maybe this is the battle you face or maybe it's something different, but we all have something to do within each battle, each fight. And I think our job is to speak life over ourselves. We need to speak life over ourselves. Did you know, did you know that after two weeks, you remember 20% of what you hear. So after, in two weeks, if I come up to you and say, hey, what's up? I preached at chapel. You remember what I said? You're going to remember 20%, and I'm cool with that. You remember 20% of what you hear, but you remember 90% of what you speak over yourself and what you live out. And so often in this society, we're speaking insecurity over ourselves, and we're walking into insecurity, and we wonder why we live in a society of insecurities, because this is what we're speaking to ourselves. Sometimes we kill our call by speaking negative words of ourselves. It's not the things that people are doing to, to us. It's the things we're speaking over ourselves. And so we need to be speaking life over us. Something Pastor Kirk has led our team in is this. It's called Savers. Probably many of you have never heard of it, but it's a book that he read. I don't remember the title of the book, but he told me this concept, and it's changed my life. And, I've, and I try to do it every morning, but it's called Savers. It's an acronym. It says every single morning you start off in silence, start off in affirmation, start off visualizing your day, visualizing your dream, exercise, read, inscribe. And those affirmations at first are kind of awkward because I'm not, you're not used to them. But I wake up in the morning and I try to just thank God in, in silence. And then I just speak life over myself. And I see myself walking in more security because I'm speaking life over myself. I'm Emma's husband. I'm going to choose to love 
pursue and encourage you today. I am a pastor. I will have double vision for my life. Focus on what God has for me now and looking for the future. I am a leader. I'm going to focus more on who God is calling me to be versus what I'm doing. I am filled with the Holy Spirit, actively pursuing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be encouraging people. Like This is something we need to speak over ourselves daily, and we'll see ourselves in two weeks, three weeks, five weeks, walking in confidence, walking in boldness, walking in all God's called us to do. Words carry weight. Proverbs 18, 20. Words satisfy the mind as much as fruit does. The stomach, good talk is as gratifying as a good harvest. Words kill. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. You choose. The second thing is the enemy hasn't taken my calling, but the enemy has taken my contentment. Philippians 4.10, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in, in any and every situation. Well-fed or, well or hungry, well, whether living in plenty or want. And contentment doesn't come from circumstance. Contentment comes from Christ. We know this. But this is something that I've been battling with different times in life, just being content. And if God has called you here, he will make a way. Just to remind people here, if God's called you to North Central, he will make a way. Whatever that looks like, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, Father except through me. So Jesus is the way to salvation, but he's also the way through your situation, whatever you're walking through. And so if you're dealing with discontentment, know that if he called you here, he will make a way. And so for, for me, there's many different fights. And so these are the two things that God has, the enemy has tried to put in my way is that my fight against insecurity and my fight against discontentment. And for you, I don't know what that is. Maybe it's purity, maybe it's addictions, maybe it's different anxieties or depression or finances or relationships. I don't know what the fight that you're dealing with, but I want to encourage you with this final thought as, as we close up, as we've got 10 minutes left of chapel, believing that God is going to do something new in your life the next 10 minutes. As I think about this, what is God's perspective on my fights? What's God's perspective on my fight against insecurity? What's God's perspective on my fight against discontentment. And I believe it's the same thing I would have told my principal who was yelling at the wrong person. I believe sometimes God's speaking that to me. Hey, Ben, you're in, you're in the wrong fight. You're in the wrong fight. Just like I would tell the principal, hey, you got the wrong person. You're in the wrong fight, principal. And so often I feel like that's what God's speaking to us because I feel like we spend all of our attention fighting the good fights when God has called us to fight the right fight. And for me, what the right fight is, is fighting for prayer. Sometimes I feel like I'm more committed to my concerns. I feel like I'm more committed to my insecurities than I'm more committed to my discontentment or my anxiety or my fear than I am committed to Christ. And all throughout scripture, God says, don't worry about those things. You don't need to fight those things. Yeah, there's things that you're called to do, but it says in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him first. Commit to him first, and he will take care of it. So, so often we fight good fights, and yes, they're good fights, but we don't need to make sure that that's the main thing we're focused on. The main thing we should be focusing on is fighting the right fight, and the right fight is fighting for prayer, fighting with your time with God. Am I fighting more against discontentment and insecurity than I am fighting for my time with God? See, grace is given. Grace happens in a moment. But intimacy, intimacy with God is gain. Intimacy is microsecond after microsecond is saying, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. That I'm going to choose to pursue him. I don't care what I'm going through. Yes, I'm dealing with this. But in this moment, I want to seek first his kingdom. I want to commit my concerns to him. We need to fight for our time, 
with Jesus. I think about the woman that was bleeding for 12 years. She was probably filled with so much anxiety, fear, depression, guilt, shame. She was, she was ceremonial, unclean, and, and she probably was lonely, and no one wanted to be around her. And then Jesus came to town, and what, what, did she, what was her response? Her response is, I want to be desperate after Jesus. And I think, am I desperate after God? Am I desperate after my time with him? And we need to live a life that fights for prayer. Because listen, watch what God will do in your life. Watch what God will do in your life if you fight for him. If you fight for prayer. For me, I was fighting these things for so long. And then two years ago, I won't get into it because we only got five minutes. But I grew up in a Nazarene background. And I thought the baptism of the Holy Spirit, either A, wasn't real. Or B, if it is real, it's not for me. And for five years, I was fighting insecurity and fighting different things. And I, and I felt like it was this vicious cycle of, I feel like a little victory coming, and then I just get back into it. And then I was at a coffee shop with Pastor Kirk, and he baptized me in the Holy Spirit two years ago at Urban Bean. And I remember driving for 30 minutes, praying in my prayer language, and I parked at Freehouse. It was my day off, so I had nothing else to do. And I walked, and I felt like my shoes and my feet were making dents in the ground because I've never in my life walked with more security, walked with more boldness, walked with more vision, walked with more dreams in my life. And this is the thing. I was fighting that for so long, but in a moment, God gave me victory because I said, I want to be desperate after him. I wasn't just open to the, the Holy Spirit baptism. I was going after it for six months. I was like, this is what God God has for me. And I was fighting more for God than I was anything else. And when that happens, God changes lives. We need to fight for prayer. We need to fight for God. You look at Paul. Paul did this. Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And all the other prisoners were listening to them. Paul was in prison, but he said, I'm going to fight for God. I'm going to fight for worship. See, this is, this is how I want to live. This is how I want to walk. I think about my dad. My dad, some people think we look a lot alike. Sometimes people don't. But one thing is for sure, every single person that walk, sees me and my dad walk, we walk the same way. Just how I saw him walk. And I want to live a life that is so in love with Jesus that I'm learning to walk more like him. I don't want to be so busy working for Jesus that I forget to walk with Jesus. I want to walk with him with everything that I have, that my steps begin to look more like Jesus. Hey, Ben, he makes mistakes, but he's starting to become more like Jesus because it says, Robert Crosby says this, genuine transformation of the whole person into the goodness and power seen in Jesus and his Father remains the necessary goal of human life. This is the goal, this is the call that God's placed on our lives is to walk more like Jesus, to become more like Jesus. We need to fight for prayer. And if you read further, it says Acts 16, 26, suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prisoners' door flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. See, when Paul decided to fight for prayer, he actually set other people free. And I think as we fight for prayer, we need to also fight for people. These are the two fights that God's called every single person to fight. Fight for prayer and fight for people. Have you ever gotten something new in your life, and then you see it everywhere? This happens to me all the time, right? I got the new jeans or new shirt, and I'm like, man, I finally, like, I'm going to, like, be trendsetter, you know, like, and then all of a sudden, I, I go to church, and, like, the entire front row is wearing the same thing, like, man, like, I thought I was doing something good, uh, or I remember when I, I got a car when I was 18 years old, and I got a Chevy Cobalt back about seven years ago, and thought it was the coolest car ever, just because I felt like it was unique. I didn't think anybody had it, and I got it, 
And then I drove home and like 17 different Chevy Cobalts passed me. The reason why is because it's called the reticular activating system. It's in your brain. It's called the doorway of your mind. It's the gatekeeper of your mind. And what this does is there's so many different stimulus coming your way, so many different things happen in this world that the doorkeeper, the RAS, the reticular activating system, chooses to see the things that you value and to overlook the things that you don't value. And I don't want to live a life where I'm overlooking people. It says, love the least of these. That doesn't mean the person on the side of the road. Yes, we need to love that person. But it says, love the people that continually and every day get overlooked. So who in your life is getting overlooked? We need to make sure that we're not overlooking anybody that God has called us to fight for people. And how do we fight for people as we close? How do we fight for people? How do we witness? A lot of people ask that question. I think it's two simple things. We need to look up and we need to lift up. We need to look up, and we need to lift up. See, Jesus looked up. The context of this story, Matthew 14, is his cousin, John the Baptist, just died. And so if there's a moment in, in somebody's life where he needs to be alone, it's this, right? We all know that feeling. I just want to get alone from people. I just want to get away. Ma- Matthew 14, 13, when Jesus heard about what had happened, when he heard John the Baptist died, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw Jesus landed and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. See, so often we're looking down, we're looking at our issues. It says in Proverbs that the world of the stingy grows smaller and smaller, and the world of the generous grows larger and larger. It's not the actual size of the earth. It's it's your worldview. And so often in life, we're looking about, oh, I got my insecurities, and I got my discontentment, I got my battles. And people are walking by us, and God says, I've called you to reach that person. I've called you to reach him, but you're too worried about yourself. And Jesus says, look up. He says, my cousin just died, but yet I go to this place of solitary and, and get away from people. And, but then this crowd follows me, and I look up. So we just need to simply look up. And then finally, as we close, we need to lift up. And we all know the story of the Good Samaritan as a Jew was cleaning the temple and it was beaten, and, and the, the priest overlooked him. The Levite overlooked him. The Samaritan gave him everything. And God has called us to lift people up. Maybe not physically, but lift people up with our words. And so as I close, I just want to encourage you with that. That the takeaway from this this message is is a simple takeaway. It's every single person has a call on their life. And the best way to fight for that call is to love God to love people. So I hope you feel encouraged that today I want to walk in and I want to fight for prayer. I want to fight for my time with God and I want to fight for people because people in this city need you. People in this, in this school need you, need your call. And so let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you're doing in this place. And we just believe that you're going to do incredible things in the future in every single person's life. We believe that you've placed a, a call on their life. We just believe and you're going to use it to impact people, to populate heaven, to reach people. There's people that need to know you, Jesus. Lord, people that need to know you, Jesus. This may not be life and death for us. Invitation to church may not be life and death for us. Lifting people up, up might not be life and death for us. Looking at people may not be life and death for us, but it may be life and death for somebody else that we believe that people all around the city will come to know you in the next couple of weeks, the next couple of months, the next couple of years. We want to do everything that we can to reach lost people that you placed a call on all of our lives. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. Amen and amen.